we're going to find ourselves uh, really starting in Colossians chapter 4 this evening. We'll get there in just a few minutes. Colossians chapter 4. There are moments in your life where uh, you put your foot in your mouth more than you would like to. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Uh, I guess the last 10 minutes has been a good case in point of doing something like that where you just doesn't work. Uh, but I remember the September, it was like 1990, I think 1999, 1998, according to my notes. Uh, I was working security at college, and I was trying to get to earn a little bit of extra money. And uh, so what I did was I uh, decided to come in during the sports season, uh, the football and volleyball's preseason during August and into early September before everybody else came in for school. So I was working that time, and as I was working during that time, we were getting up to the time of school starting, so people were starting to come back in. And I remember one night, it was probably like the, the Friday or Saturday right before school was going to start, uh, I was working security on the ladies' side of campus, and as I was, as I was working there, someone had pulled up, uh, one of the ladies had pulled up with, uh, in their car with their parents, and uh, she got out of the car, and I looked, and I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to her. I'm going to do this. And so I, I mustered up the courage as she's walking toward me, and I'm like, you know that slow motion moment where it's like, yeah, she's coming to talk to me. And she was really going to her dorm, but I got in the way. And I decided, okay, I'm going to talk to her. And uh, so I started to say, hi, how are you doing? But the first thing that actually came out is, what'd you do to your hair? And I was like, okay, that did not come out. I mean, I like it. I, it's great. I, I, and you're doing one of those stumbling through, trying to recover, but recovery is almost inevitably not going to happen. And so got a little bit of recovery. And so I asked, well, how's it, how's it going with you and your, your boyfriend? And she happened to look and go, well, we broke up this summer. Really? I, I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, and it, there was a progression for a five, it felt like a five minute conversation. It was really like an eternity or it felt like an eternity, but it was a five minute conversation where there were multiple times I stuck my foot in my mouth and she went into her dorm and I'm just like, well, there goes that one. <laughs> and, uh, I remember getting into the school year and my friends, they talked to me and we were all talking. I said, Hey, I need some help. You know, you know that I like this girl and uh, sorry, I'm telling the story, by the way. Um, no, no, I'm not. Uh, and we're going through it. And my friend says, all right, we're going to give you some help. Here's what you need to say. Here's how you need to talk. And, and they became that proverbial wingman. You know, they, they, Air Force, they have the wingman, the one who's got, they've got your back. They're flying beside. They're going to they're gonna be watching and helping out the person who's in the lead. Well, it became known as that, that term for somebody who's going to help out their friends, to, to court the girl or to get the girl or to talk. So they were going to, they were going to help. It's actually a couple, uh, Andrew and Stephanie, they really helped me out to, to get to the point where I could actually look at Sharon and say, hi, how are you doing? And not just fumble all over my words. The thing I didn't realize is that actually after that conversation ensued, she actually got in the van, talked to Pastor and Mrs. Binkley, and they're like, well, who's that guy? And uh, she said, well, that's the guy I'm probably going to start dating in a couple weeks. I'm like, man, that would have been a whole lot easier to know that when I'm trying just to fumble through words. But we put our foot in our mouth a lot. And I think sometimes we fear that when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to the conversations about the gospel, we become so fearful of putting our foot in our mouth that we don't say anything. But the amazing thing is, Pastor pointed out last week from Matthew 28, we have the, the best wingman we could ever need. The, someone who has our back, somebody who goes with us, somebody who's ever present, and that Jesus Christ says, 
Matthew 28, I am with you. I am with you always, even until the end of the world. All authority, all of my power, it's given to you. Go and to tell and to share the gospel. And so he's going to help us. He's going to give us strength. He's going to, to be going through that. There's, there's one thing that, that those of us who are believers and those who are non-believers, we have something in common when, in common when it comes to the area of evangelism. We all fear the talk. They fear it. Uh, they're going to they're gonna try and get me to, to become one of those Christians. And we're fearful of actually engaging at times in the talk. We become very uptight about it. So we have to just look and say, okay, God has told us to do it. He's going to give us strength. He's going to give us to the word, the words to do this. He wants to help us. And, you know, and despite the, the fear that has occurred, some people have really, I've, I've really been encouraged over the last couple of weeks to hear a number of you coming back to me and saying, hey, I'm, I'm working on the one-to-one challenge and I'm working on developing relationships with this person or this person. And to hear some of the stories, I'll be sharing them in, in newsletters that are coming up here in the future, sending them out so that you can hear some of those, those accounts too. But people who are looking over the last weeks and said, despite the fear, I've, I've really tried to step out and, and to do this. One man mentioned just this week, he was at AutoZone and he was giving every excuse in his mind not to share the gospel with this individual. And he's like, I could just feel the Holy Spirit telling me, talk to him, talk to him. And he's like, there's no way I don't have time. I've got stuff. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to hear about Christianity. He doesn't want to, but he said, I finally just said, okay, Lord, I, you just want me to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bite the bullet. I'm going to do what's right. And so I started talking to this guy, and this guy became super engaged in the conversation. He was loving it. And he was asking, what church do you go to? Where can I find out about it? I'd like to, when are your service times? And he said, I, I was fighting tooth and nail. He said, I came up with every excuse I could possibly come up with. But when I just surrendered, it was amazing that God was working in such a way to do that. One of the ladies here was talking to me about the opportunity she's had in handing out tracts and that she's been specifically praying, God, give me people to share these tracts with and, and help me to know. And she said, it's working. All of a sudden I'll be in the store and there's opportunities that I would have never thought or never noticed, but I'm, I'm sharing the tracks and I'm having a good time and I'm enjoying doing that because God is working and God wants to be doing this. One, one man talked to me about inviting a friend at Easter time. He said, I didn't really think they were going to come, but it was my one-to-one contact that I was thinking about and praying about. And so I invited, I knew they weren't going to come and they actually said no at first, but then they called me back up and said, you know what? I think we're going to come to come to the Easter service. And he's like, Who's doing that? That's God doing that. God is, God is working and God wants us to be part of it. One of the kids here was praying at church. Uh, he was praying for a friend of his uh, to come to church. And he, he prayed on Wednesday at five o'clock, right around five or six o'clock, he said. And then that night, that same child came to church with another friend. He said, all of a sudden I looked and he's like, wow, God answers prayer. I'm like, yes, he does. And he was super excited that, that God, was, God was doing that. We have one lady who, after three different um, outings with their one-to-one contact, they've just intentionally said, I'm going to do this one-to-one. I'm going to develop relationships. I'm going to make time in my schedule to do this. They're, they're getting ready to start a Bible study because the lady who's interested in said, I need to know more about God. I need to know more about Christ. It's happening. We want you to be involved. I really want to encourage you to, to say, hey, Start developing relationships. You might be looking and saying, well, I don't have any relationships. Start looking. Start praying. God, if, if you really want a relationship, you start begging God. God will provide eventually somewhere down the road here. He's going to provide. It could be the relationship that you have comes on a Sunday morning. It sits across the aisle from you. And they sit down and, and they don't know anybody. But you decide that you're going to go talk to them. 
you're going to start developing a relationship with them. It could be that coworker. It could be a friend. It could be somebody on the team. But have you truly been looking and saying, okay, we started a couple weeks ago. We started this, this one-to-one outreach, this challenge that we set before us where we're going to look and we're going to do a number of things. And if you're having questions about it, we have more of the tracks or more of the information out by the church office to look and to say, I want to intentionally build relationships. And we've been talking about our disciple-making program. It's not even a program. I, don't, I shouldn't even use that word. Our disciple-making culture in this church. That's what we want to develop, that our passion, our heartbeat is to say, we want to be involved in Great Commission living. I want to be involved in developing relationships to start conversations, to establish foundations, and to assimilate people into our congregation of body of believers. And that's what God calls us to, and he wants you to do that, and you can do that. We've been talking about it for a number of weeks here. But, but what does that look like? As we start talking about it, there are many great debates in evangelical Christianity, but one of them centers around this idea of living the gospel versus preaching the gospel. What am I supposed to be doing? Am I just supposed to live so that people can see me? You know, the old, the old uh, song, cheesy, doesn't, it drives me nuts if you like it, I'm sorry, but you know, we are one in the spirit, you know, by our love, they shall know us, by our love, by our love, by our love, they'll know that we're Christians, by our love, by our love. And it's like, okay, what else you got in there? And there's just like this whole idea, if I just live, if I just live, if I just live, then they're going to, they're going to see Christ. Or we flip on the other side where, you know what, I don't have to live, I don't have to be near them, I'm just going to tell them like it is, tell them that there's a hell that they're going to burn, they're going to fry, and liars will be friars, and that's the end of it. There's, there's, a, there's a balance here. And how do we wrestle through? Because the scriptures do talk about both. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 talk about walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. As we, as we look into the scriptures this evening, what, what does this passage tell us? It tells us, first of all, we are to walk in wisdom. We are to conduct ourselves with wisdom. In other words, we are to live God's way in God's world. We are to live as Christians are, ought to live, as unbelievers expect Christians to live, and even more than that, the way that God expects you and I to be living in this world. And as we, as we look at his words and as we follow his ways, we start to say, okay, what, what does God want me to do? He wants me to live this way toward those who are without it's Paul's way here of saying those who are not saved, those who are not yet believers, I am to be, which means I'm supposed to be living in front of them. My life is to be evidenced to them. They need to see how I'm living. They need to see how I react in tense moments. They need to see how I react in good moments and difficulties of life. But I need to be walking in wisdom the way God would have me to walk toward those who are without. And then he says, redeeming the time. Now, Ephesians is where it talks about redeeming the time because the days are evil. But here he just says, you walk toward those are without, walk in wisdom, redeeming the time. In other words, making the most of your opportunities. Are you making the most of your opportunities? That's that individual was AutoZone this week. The opportunity was there and he really did not want to make the most of it. But yet he decided, all right, this is an opportunity here. I am going to, to do that. Why redeeming the time? We know that that term redemption or redeeming, it's a, it's a marketplace term. It means to buy back or to buy off that slavery block, to, to pay for them, to be freed from their chains. What's interesting is in the context here of time, we are buying back time. We are, we are literally taking time 
We're paying the price to purchase them from a bad situation. In other words, I'm sacrificing my time. That's, there, there is no way around this, folks. You are going to have to give up some of your time to reach out to people. If you say, no, my time is more precious than people, then your heart's in the wrong place. I am told to take my time to redeem it, to buy back, to use some of my time for those who are without, those who are not saved. And if I do not have time for those who are unsaved, then something needs to be cut. Whether it's my excessive Little League games with the kids. Maybe we need to pull that back. Although I like that because it's giving us opportunities with the community. Whether it's, maybe it's all of my extracurricular, all the hobbies and all the things that I'm involved in. Maybe it's, you know, going boating five times a week, which I don't think anybody goes boating five times a week. That's a little excessive. But what is it? Have you ever done, a, done just a time chart looking at your time during the week and where your time is spent? Maybe it's the binge watching. Maybe that needs to go down so that you have time to do the housework and the yard work so that you have free time in order to spend with, with the, the neighbor. Where is your time going? We only have so much. We're called to redeem that time, to use that time toward those who are without, to walk in wisdom before them. How you live is important to gospel relationships. So the argument of, is it living the gospel or is it preaching the gospel? Well, the Bible does talk about how you live the gospel, how I live the gospel. That is extremely important to gospel relationships. But did you notice the next verse, verse 6? He says, let your speech always be gracious and to be salty. The idea is to use tact, to be kind in your words to be using words that are going to create thirst so that as people are listening to you, they're hearing about Christ. Maybe not the whole gospel every time, but it's, it's starting to create thirst. One individual said tact, I think it was C.S. Lewis, I should have wrote it down, sorry, said making a point, uh, tact is making a point without making an enemy. And when we're sharing the gospel, our goal is not to create an enemy. Sure, there are going to be some who are enemies of the gospel. There are going to be some who reject the gospel. But we have to look and say, okay, our conversation, and even the King James uses that multiple times, where the term conversation is not just the words I say, but it's also the way I live. And so conversation is both the way we live and the words that we give. So this argument where people, a lot of times arguments just come because people want to write books, and they want to write books on this end, and they want to write books on this end. When we look at the Bible, the Bible clearly, I believe, teaches us that it's how we're living and it's what we're saying. And that is important to the idea of conversation. We're building relationships. That's, you know, my little diagram, home to first base, building relationships, developing opportunities to turn the corner and start conversations, to be talking to people, living our life in a gracious way so that we can get to the talk. Matthew 5 reminds us of that. Verses you're familiar with, verses we've covered over the last couple of weeks, but that we are to be the salt of the earth. And if we've lost its, uh, salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Have we lost our saltiness in how we live? Have we become so much like the world? Has the world crept into Faith Baptist Church? Has the world crept into arts life? Has the world crept into your life that it's getting to the point when when unbelievers see how I live, that they begin to look and say, I I want nothing to do with that. You tell me, oh, I need to be different, but I I don't see how you're different. 
you, you curse like me, you watch the same things as I do, even though I was always told a Christian wouldn't watch that. You know, you, you party like I do, you go to the same. There is a distinction that we have, and that's not evil, and it's not wrong, and it's not something we should be ashamed of. We should be distinct. We are unique people. You know, and he also says, you're, you're, you're the light of the world. You cannot, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. They don't put the lamp under the, the, the lampstand. As I look at it, when we're talking about our lives, how we live, how we converse, we don't want to be hypocritical. We know you're, you're almost waiting, aren't you? When you start sharing the gospel, you're almost waiting for that person. Well, I don't want to go to church because everybody at church is a hypocrite. It's not a true statement, but are there hypocrites at church? Sure. Are there times that I'm hypocritical? Absolutely. Are there times that you're hypocritical? Absolutely. We have to be able to look at it, notice those areas where we're saying this and we're doing something different. Notice it, recognize it, confess it before God. And at times I have to admit it. I have to look, you're right. I, you know what? You, you bring a really good point, friend. I'm saying this and I did that and that was wrong. I need to take care of that with God and I hope you'll forgive me. That's, I need to recognize those things, to be genuine and honest. I don't need to be hidden. If we are taking our light and we are not going out and shining it in the world, we're not doing what God has called us to do. We don't want to be hidden. So let's take the gospel. Let's say we're going to do it. It's, it's going to cause a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress, but we can do it because God is, God's our wingman. God is with us. He's going through. Romans 10, why do we do this? Romans 10, verse 13, we quote it. It's in our Romans road. It's in our gospel presentation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And we believe that and we say, amen. Anybody, not, not just a certain few of the elect, anyone who can and wants to call upon the name of the Lord in true, genuine faith, believing and trusting and turning from their sin and putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they can be saved. But look at the rest of the next part. He says, how then shall they call on him? who they have not believed and how they believe in whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher? And, and the word that, that we use for preacher, we instantly think, okay, there, there it is. It's the, it's the professional, right? And that's, that's who, the, the word has this idea. It's one who verbally communicates the gospel. It is not necessarily saying just a pastor. We are called to be a kerux. That is the term one who heralds the truth of the good news. And there are people that you will be able to come in contact with that I will never, ever know. And you can herald the gospel to them. To take the simple truth of what Jesus Christ has done and verbally communicate it to your friends, to your coworkers, who your pastors will never, probably never meet, barring they, they come to church here. And even then, sometimes... Like, wow, how, do, how, we, how many weeks have you been going here? And they're like, oh, six or seven weeks. I'm sorry, I didn't get to meet you yet. It still happens. But you, you can do that. It's, it's not necessarily comfortable. The, but you have to look and say, okay, wait, it's not comfortable, but it is what God has planned. The primary way God has chosen to reach people is through other people. That is his last commission. Go make disciples. You, one-to-one. You investing in a life of an individual. Go there. And the primary way that he works through people is through the verbalization, the speaking of the gospel. I'm excited to hear numbers of people handing out tracts. The other day, the other day we, we talked about, you know, the track rat not being empty. 
Pastor Kim walked over. He looked at me. He goes, what's going on? I said, I know. There's like nine spots gone. And we're like, yes, let's do it again. And it was, it was really encouraging. And what's encouraging is hearing some of you come back and say, I handed out the track and then I got to talk to the people too. Because that's the next part. You're, you're starting to verbalize the gospel. And the more that you do this, the more you will become comfortable. I remember back in college, we started, a, three of my friends and I started a, a group at, uh, down in University of Wisconsin-Madison. It was right on what's called State Street. And State Street was there. It's right through the heart of the University of Wisconsin. So all, I mean, the party school, there it is. We're all there. And we just got a burden and said, we need to go down there and we need to start sharing the gospel. It was nerve-wracking because here are all these, you know, secular kids who don't want anything to do with God, at least in our minds. And we're going to start trying to share the gospel. In the first couple of weeks, it was brutal. It was discouraging, but we said, we've got to do it. And so we just kept doing it and kept doing it. And before you knew it, we were bringing an entire bus from the college down and people were lining State Street. We were seeing individuals get saved and we were seeing people start to, to go to different churches. Well, I just heard, I just heard about a month and a half ago that it's, it's 20 years, almost 20 years after that. But as a result of that ministry and some of the things that have happened down in that area, they're starting a local church because people are getting saved through that. Now that's years down the road, but it was nerve wracking. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I'm supposed to share the gospel. I was just this dumb college kid who thought he knew everything, but knew absolutely nothing. And I was out there. I'm like, all right, here we go. And you can do the same. It's just starting bit by bit saying, I'm going to start stepping out by faith to share the gospel. But you may look and go, but I am not qualified. And Pastor Tony did a good job. He hit on a number of things this morning. So I had to go through this afternoon and cut half of my message because he got to preach in the morning and I got second dibs. So I cut out half of it. But you may say, I'm not qualified. Good. I'm glad you're not qualified. And so is God because Second Corinthians chapter four says, we have this treasure, the gospel in our earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not, it's not us who needs to, to be the one who is qualified. You, can you think of any other candidates used by God? Think about people through the Bible who were uh, unlikely to be used, but they were used. Who? Paul. He's a murderer, right? That was, I mean, that was one of his issues, or at least he consented to the murderings of all these different people. Who else? Moses. What was Moses' issue? His speech. He, he, he's... How did how, Caleb? How's it go? He you did it so well last week, man. He, he stuttered. You know, he he did that. What else? Who else? Matthew. Why? His tax collector. People don't like him. He's socially like get away from me. Who else? David, an adulterer, used by God. Who else? Rahab, a harlot, and yet used by faith by God. Who? Daniel. He, uh, he had moments, but, you know, still used by God. He was young. Can a young person be used by God? What about, you know, Timothy, younger? Can he be Jeremiah? Jeremiah 1.9. He felt, or 1.4, 1.9, sorry. Uh, he felt that he was too young. Abraham, I'm too old. You can continually go through the scripture and you can see the potentials of people saying, I'm not qualified, but they walk by faith and they say, I'm going to step out and do what God calls me to do. They're not, they don't seem qualified, and yet God is willing to use those who step out. God gets the glory when he works through unlikely vessels. 
If I lead somebody to Christ, I'm excited about it. Some of you are going to look and go, well, that's your job. You're a professional. You're supposed to be able to do that. Great. But if one of you who looks and says, I'm not really good, but you get, you get to lead somebody, you are going to be so excited. And it's because God is using somebody who they, that looks unlikely. God is looking for availability more than just ability. Don't, don't shortchange yourself, please. Because in shortchanging yourself, you're shortchanging the God who says, I will be with you. I will go with you. I will give you the strength. I will give you the words. God is looking for availability. People are going to say, I'm going to take some of my time. I'm going to redeem it. God does not necessarily call the qualified, but he does qualify the called. And who are called to be conformed to his image? Who are called to go out? That's you. He wants to qualify you, to give you the strength, to give you the ability. He wants you to invest in that as well, to be working through it. We need to remove the thought from our minds, from our lives, that sharing our faith is something we cannot do or something that is miserable to engage in. It's not miserable. It is a joy. Paul talks about the joy that he has in seeing the people that he was able to lead to the Lord. And the joy that you can have, those of you who, I mean, if I went around and talked to the people right now who I mentioned and talked about at the beginning, their joy is excited because God's using them and he wants to use us and he wants us to step up by faith to start turning relationships even into conversations and to to develop that. So let's talk about that practically for just a few minutes. How do we turn the relationships to conversations? Some key tips, things that I've read through, um, not all original with me, but things that have, have helped me through the years. The more you know about a person the better it will be and when you're trying to turn that relationship to a conversation. Now that can happen quickly. You can learn about a person very quickly and get into a gospel conversation. But those individuals, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your, your, your people you're doing hobbies with, that you're really seeking to say, I want to invest in them. I want to see them become like Christ. I want to see them get saved and I want to disciple them. Learn about them. That's why the, the one of the sheets that's out there on the... Uh, out there on the table by the one-to-one sign. It has this idea of relationship reminders that helps you to just go through. I appreciated some of you coming back and you're like, look at this. I already know this all about my person. And that's great. To, to know when the heartache, when the joys are in their life. To know when, what hobbies, what interests they have. To know if they have children, if they don't. If they have children who are deceased, that they have a spouse who's deceased or passed or maybe in a very difficult health situation. How much do you know about your neighbors? How much do you know about the people that you're trying to win to Christ? The more we know, the better the opportunities we will have in turning a relationship to a conversation about the gospel. When you ask them questions, don't interrupt. Let them talk. Even if they say something heretical at first, let them, let them talk. Let, learn about them. Develop that opportunity that you're listening to, to what they have. Have some humility. You don't need to go into a conversation as I am a holier-than-thou Christian. I know much, so much more than you. I'm so much better than you. And by the way, you need Jesus. You do that. If we do that, it's just going to be ugly. It's going to be one of those imploding situations where they don't want to be, you, you don't want to be around that. And you're a believer. If somebody walks in like that, thinks they are so much better than you, and they just know all the answers from the, you're just like, you just gag. So why would a non-believer want, want to see some of that same? Remember a non-believer, this was, I read this this week and I was like, ooh, that's really good. That a non-believer 
is not the enemy. They're under the control. They're the inf- under the influence of the real enemy. They're, they're, I'm not an enemy of somebody who is not a, a believer of Jesus Christ. I'm an enemy of Satan. But not that individual is being controlled. That ought to break my heart about them. If you, I'm, you've probably heard it said, I'm basically, all I am is I'm one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find food. I'm not anything better. I'm just looking at somebody who's really hurting and they need help. Spurgeon says that if I am not weeping over the lost, I'm never going to be passionate about winning the lost. And do we look around and say, these people are under the complete domination of Satan? Or we just look and say, you know, it's, they're, just, they're not Christians. No, they're being dominated by a world power and Satan. And we have the answer. We have the gospel that changes, radically changes people's lives. So let's do it. And be intentional about your relationships. And be intentional about turning a relationship to a conversation. One of the ladies was telling me that in their, their conversations with one of, the, one of the individuals they were trying to talk to, they said, I was constantly trying to hold a conversation and praying at the same time, Lord, help me to know how to turn this to Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to know how to turn this to something about a Bible study or to something about the, the gospel. Help me to know that. Help me to know that. And, and they weren't real sure. And then the conversation came up about prayer. And they were like, that's it. I'm going to use that. How can I be praying for you? And they used that opportunity of just talking about prayer. And I think that's a really good opportunity for us. There's not too many unsaved people who look and say, don't pray for me. They, they want, they, they thank you. If you say, hey, I'm going to be praying, thank you. Is there anything specific I can be praying for you about? Well, you know, my, my grandkids are really going through a difficult time right now. Could you pray for so-and-so and so-and-so? You write that down, you file it away. And then what does it do? It gives you an opportunity to come back. Say, hey, I was praying for so-and-so. How's it going? And it allows you another inroad, another opportunity to show, one, you care about that individual. Two, it develops opportunities for later to be intentional about turning the conversation to Jesus Christ. Now, we're talking about fisher, being fishers of men. How do, we, how do we really do this? There was, a, there was a story that was in an article out in Australia a couple, a couple weeks ago. There was a gentleman who he was swimming off of the, off of the pier in one of the, one of the areas, and he got attacked by a great white shark. And it really, really messed him up, obviously. He was able to live through it, but he is severely maimed for the rest of his life. As the story unfolds, it comes to find out that he had been fishing for three hours prior to that, chumming, throwing out dead fish and, and stuff into the water to attract sharks to that area so that he could catch a shark with his pole. When he wasn't catching anything, he's like, eh, I'll just go for a swim, jumps in the water, instant shark attack. And it's like, you, you were baiting, you were luring in, you were saying, here, come to me. Well, that idea of chumming, some of you have been deep sea fishing, you've went out for tuna, and uh, you've had that opportunity where they're constantly throwing in bait, throwing out bait into the ocean in order to attract, in order to attract the fish. That's part of what we need to be doing when we are seeking to turn our relationships into conversations, putting, putting opportunities out there, saying, I'm, I'm spiritually chumming. Some people talk about drawing the net, bringing it in. 
I like chumming just because that idea sticks in my head. And uh, so how, how are we spiritually chumming? What, what do we do with our conversations? Spiritual chumming, that's going to be hard to say, starts with normal conversations. It doesn't, it doesn't start with, uh, hi, my name's Art. By the way, you need Jesus. And you, there are moments that that'll happen. But it starts with normal conversations. Who are you? Hi, my name is... Where, where do you live? Things like that. Just those normal, those normal things. Uh, there's a gentleman, and I, I really, I really, really do strongly recommend this book, Evangelism for the Faint-Hearted. I think a couple of you have read this. Uh, Floyd Schneider. It's, it's a great book. But he talks about, this is, this is all from him. I'm not, I won't even claim it. This is completely from him, where he talks about how to start turning it into a spiritual conversation. He talks about, start with surface talk. Surface, surface talk is basically you're going to be looking and saying, talk about the weather, talking about the sports, you know, you're, things we do normally. You know that moment when you're sitting in Giant, and not when the robot's going by, but when you're sitting in Giant, and you're sitting there, and the person in line is right in front of you, and they sort of turn around, and you're like, hi, and you have that awkward moment, and you're like, and there's that silence where nobody knows what to say, but then somebody says something, it's usually Oh, interesting weather we're having. I'm so tired of the rain. I'm fearful if we actually did not have weather, some of us would have absolutely nothing to talk about. But we look and say, okay, we have those moments. That's surface talk. We do it all the time. We just make superficial conversation in order to break silence because we don't like silence. And we just start talking about it. But your goal in surface talk should be to get to the point where you're mentioning something personal about yourself. Not just trying to find out about them. Because why do they want to open up if you have not yet? I think the onus is on us to do a little bit of opening up. To say, hey, this is who I am. It's, it, the weather's crazy. You know, we've been trying to get some baseball games in with our, with our kids' little league team over here. And the weather just is not cooperating. What about you? Do you, you, know, do you, uh, do you have any kids? You know, our, our kids are... It just gives you something to then ask. To open it up. But open up about yourself uh, first. Then he talks about moving into what is called personal talk. This is where you really get to know, to know the individual. This is where you're looking and saying, okay, I want to, uh, to know. If they bite on surface talk and they're willing to have a conversation with you, okay, get to know them a little bit. What, what are they going to talk about? Talk about their family. Talk about their jobs. Talk about their hobbies, their interests. Talk about your jobs, your family, your interests. This is a two-way communication street. A relationship is not just me interrogating and being a, you know, a little uh, reporter here and I'm just going to find out about you. It's us opening up to them. It's us developing a friendship in order to create those opportunities. You want to know as much as possible so that as you're building that friendship and building that relationship, you're able to dive into those deeper, those weightier, weightier matters. This is not just you know about them, but it's about them knowing you. And then while you're doing it, let me encourage you, watch, watch body language. As you're talking to them, use the five W's, the who, what, when, where, why. Ask them about those things. Use those types of questions, not just, is this nice? Yes. Do you like this? No. But give them questions that, that engage them in conversation. And as you're talking to them, observe body language. Watch what they're doing. If their eyebrows are like, oh, here we go again. Okay, they're not, they're not ready to dive in deeper. If you're, you're talking to somebody and they're like, they're constantly looking. You ever been in that conversation where you're this far away from a person, but they're constantly doing this? 
They're, they're looking around you, trying to, you know, looking, saying, basically they're saying, Lord, help me, somebody please get me out of this conversation right now. And you want to observe those body languages. And if they're, not, if they're not relaxed and comfortable, they're fidgeting and they're getting out of it. I mean, it, you can read body language all the time. I mean, I can look at some of you and go, some of you right now, you're like, Pastor, you're a moron and you're completely disinterested in what you're saying because your body language screens that. Some of you are like, okay, you read, learn to read body language. It really helps in those conversations. And you can read articles on that, what, what it's all talking about, but engage yourself in learning how to read body language. What, when you're talking with an individual, when you start talking, let's say you go to work tomorrow and they ask you, so what, what happened with you? What'd you do this weekend? Is your tendency, is your tendency typically to look and say, well, we did this and this and this, and everything is focused on Saturday. All the fun things you did, all the entertainment, because we are an entertainment-driven society, or all the work projects you had to do, and you leave Sunday out of it. Do you bring in, oh, well, we went to church like we always do, and pastor preached on this, and we talked about this. That's, a, that's an easy opportunity to start interjecting Christ into your everyday conversations in a personal way, because this is who we are. At least I'm hoping that's who you are. The, the, you're the Sunday night crowd. You're typically, you're here. That's a good core truth that you're, all right, we're about Jesus Christ. Share that. Use those opportunities to be talking in a personal way. So surface talk and personal talk, these are really at the level, they're basically pre-evangelistic. They're helping you build relationships, helping you set the stage, helping you get to know people. You're, you're putting in opportunities when you can about Jesus Christ. You're talking about the importance of your relationship with him, but you haven't got to the full-blown blown gospel yet. You're just sitting there trying to, to develop those, those core relationships with them. So then he talks about, Schneider talks about moving to religious talk, where you're going to use a number of different items to help bridge the conversation. It could be over the last couple of weeks talking about Easter and Good Friday. One of the ladies talked about, um, they were in the, they were in the, uh, one of the medical areas, one of the ERs or something like that. And a couple of the nurses were asking the same question that the one kid was talking, asking this morning, what's the, what's the big deal about Good Friday or why did Jesus have to die? And that was an excellent bridge for her to be able to just walk in and say, here, let me tell you a little bit about that. Let me give you some literature that tells you about why Jesus had to die. Take those opportunities. I mean, the Middle East, do we not have, do we not have an opportunity this week from everything that's happening over in the Middle East right now to, to engage in some of those conversations, to be able to look and say, you know, there's a lot of conflict going on between the, the Jew and the Arab. Do, do you know where that started? No, I don't have a clue. Well, you know, if you go back in the book of Genesis... It actually started with a man by the name of Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham. And you can walk through some of those different things, bringing them back to the Bible. Use, use their words when they say, God bless you, or they say, you know, uh, something about God. Use those opportunities to bridge into religious talk and see how they, see how they respond. Do they look and they go, yeah, I don't want to get into that. Or do they start engaging? If they start engaging with you, continue engaging. Keep talking. Use those opportunities. I personally, some of the questions I like to use, I use three basic ones. I often will ask people, what do you think about God? Because it allows me to, if they look and they say, well, I think, I think God, you know, there is a God and he, you know, is really good. It gives me an idea, okay, they have more of a, a theistic worldview. If they look and say, I don't believe there is a God, there's no such thing, or I don't think we can know God, it helps me to know, okay, they're, they're more atheistic or agnostic. But that doesn't mean I write them off. It just means I know where they're coming from. I'll then ask them, if, if they respond about God, I'll ask, well, what do you think about Jesus, you know, and God? And what do you think about Jesus? 
See how they respond. Well, I don't believe in Jesus. I believe there's a God, but I, I don't think Jesus was God. You know, he's a good prophet. You know, then all of a sudden, you know, you're probably talking to somebody who's Muslim or you're talking to somebody who's Hindu or you're talking to somebody who's maybe Buddhist. It helps you to understand where they're coming from. They look and they say, well, I, I do, but I believe about Jesus. I think he was God and he came and he, you know, he died on the cross. And you, you hear about that. Then I'll ask another question. I'll say, well, what do you think about, how, how do people go to heaven? And then you're getting into the, the questions of, well, you know, it's only by faith through grace. And they're like, okay, they have a really good understanding of the gospel. Somebody else might look and go, well, you know, you can really, you have to do, believe in God, but you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. Now it's triggering in my mind, wait, they're, they're holding to their good works. So those are just questions I like to throw out personally in, in the area of religious talk just to see how they, they will respond. But I want to listen to them. When I ask these questions, the hardest thing, one of the hardest things for me to do is when I ask somebody about what do you believe about God and they're looking, well, I don't believe there is a God. My heart wants to just jump out and start going, well, let me tell you why there is a God. I can tell you about this and this reason and this reason and this reason. But all I've done then is I've just stopped the conversation. So I want to hear them. I'm going to listen. That does not mean I'm not coming back to it. And depending on how the conversation goes, sometimes I'll jump right back in with them if it's a good debate back and forth. But sometimes I'm just going to listen to them and then we're going to come back to it because I want them to know I actually care about what they're saying, not just simply, I have an agenda, you need to listen to it, you're wrong, I'm right, have a good day. I am right, you are wrong, but we're going to get to that in a gracious and salty way, a tactful way, uh, as as the Bible talks about. The temptation is going to be to correct the problems right away. Work hard at listening to what they're saying. If you start down this path, but they end up seeming cold or disinterested or hostile, back up. Back up to personal talk. Get back to just talking about relationships and your family and and retreat a little bit. Because that gives you an opportunity then to still have an opportunity down the road. You're building this relationship for, for long term. So you start talking, they get hostile and say, you know what, I, I appreciate that. You know, and hopefully we can have that conversation again. But, you know, until then, you know, I hope your family's doing well and I hope that, you know, the kids will be doing good and whatever they're doing. And, and back up a little bit. But keep that, keep, don't burn the bridge. How many of us were hostile the first times we heard the gospel? Or maybe disinterested or cold? Give the people the opportunity. Don't, don't look, there are, one, there are one shots that you have. You're on the airplane you're on the bus ride. There, there are moments where you're going to have the one shot and you're trying to get through it. I understand that. But we're looking and saying building long-term relationships with some of those people. Use those opportunities. And then spiritual talk. And we'll, we'll get to this even in, in, future, in future weeks. But spiritual talk, does the, person, uh, does the person's attitude and actions indicate that they are comfortable, that they want to talk about spiritual things? They're engaged. This is when you start getting the, the, the butterflies because you're like, wow, this is really happening. This person's listening to me. We're getting into the gospel here. And they're, are they going to get saved right now? Is this really going to happen? And you're getting excited. And then your throat gets really thick in your tongue. And you're like, I need water because I don't know what I'm going to say. And you're, you're getting excited and you're nervous. And it's a wonderful feeling because you're like, all right, God, this is going to happen. Do this, do this, do this. And, and you're looking forward to it. That's when you start to share the gospel. Now you've already probably, through the conversations with your friends, this may be a year. This may have taken you a year to get to this point. That's okay. You, now, you, we want to, I think we want to get to it sooner. I think in a lot of situations, we wait too long. 
We want to get into these conversations. But start to, start to share the gospel. If they reject, they shut down, remain friends. Still have those relationships. Because if you're just looking at them as a project, they're going to sniff that out. They're going to be like, that, all you're trying to do is just make me a little notch on your belt. That's all. That's not the goal. Our goal is to build genuine relationships. And if they reject, they shut down, still work on developing friendships with them. It might go for six months or eight months where you don't talk to each other a lot. But it may come back. Don't burn, don't burn the bridge if you don't have to. Spiritual chumming starts with normal conversations, but it continues with persistent conversations. When we were... Uh, Let's see, Sharon was eight months pregnant with Dylan. And we, I grew up with a tradition in my, in my parents' church where on Easter break, they would always go down to Table Rock Lake in Missouri. And we would, all the guys would go fishing for the whole week on the, on the, the lake. So I loved fishing. I loved, loved doing that. And we would always go down there. Well, this was the, one of the first times I wasn't able to go down. So I convinced my loving and kind and gracious wife to say, can I go down fishing? And she said, No. And then she said, well, yeah, you can go if I get to come with. And I was like, okay, we can do this. So we actually went down a little bit early, and uh, we decided that, hey, let's, let's run a boat. This is just me and my youth ignorance. She's eight months pregnant. We decided to get on a 16-foot aluminum boat and go out into the middle of a lake, which is about probably 45, 50 minutes to any hospital. And so we're out there on the lake, and I start fishing. And she's got a book, and she's reading away because she has no desire to be fishing. And she's reading. And I have what, this one lure. Everybody said this is the hottest lure to use on the lake. Everything, everybody's catching these huge bass. So I'm all excited. So I'm fishing away and fishing away. Four and a half hours go by of throwing the exact same lure the entire time. And I chucked it out, and it got like beautiful cast, landed right next to a, a tree stump. And she just looks at me and goes, why? You've been throwing this lure for four and a half hours. What is wrong with you? I think she was asking, why did I marry you? But she just looked and said, why are you doing this? And so I explained to her, I love doing this. This is, you know, you got to keep casting. You never know when you're going to catch that big one. You just, you just got to do it. So we had this conversation for a few minutes and then I just, I took my pole and I just reeled. And all I did was just enough to turn the lure about that much. And this huge bass comes flying out of the water, smacks the lure, jumps up and smacks down. And I start reeling this in. Well, as I'm reeling it in, all of a sudden I look over and here's my eight-month pregnant wife running around on the boat trying to grab the, the, the net. She's reaching over. She's, she's like going crazy. She's excited. She's like, this is awesome. I'm like, that's why you do it right there. And I, it was the biggest bass I've ever caught. It was almost, a, it was like a seven pound largemouth. I was loving it. And she was, we're taking pictures and she's like, stay, I'm like, stay in the boat. This will be good. And, and that was why, but it was the persistency that got me that fish. Too many times in our conversations, we look and we say, I tried and it didn't happen. Keep trying continually while you are going, continue to share the gospel, continue to make conversations, continue to be persistent in those areas. And then the last one, chumming, spiritual chumming, however you want to, is strengthened with personal conversations. Keep throwing it out, personal. Use your testimony. Open up about who you are. As you, as you look, Acts, Acts chapter 20, um, 26, Paul is going to talk, if you remember back there, he's, he's before Agrippa. And as he's before Agrippa, he's going to use his testimony to talk to the king, to talk to the man in control. 
And he's going to say, hey, we need to, I need to share this with you. Now, your testimony is important. Why? It's hard to argue with your personal experience. Now, it doesn't, just because you have a personal experience doesn't make something right. But as you share that, people are engaged in your story. Don't discount, don't discount your story. It creates common ground with others. To know that the things that you believe now, you didn't once believe. To all of a sudden be talking with somebody and they're looking and saying, oh, you mean you always haven't followed Jesus? No, no, this was something that happened later in life or this happened when I was in my teen years or this just happened to me a few weeks ago. But it creates some opportunities, some common ground with them. What you're doing is you're explaining how, you're explaining why you've changed, why you've chosen to follow Jesus Christ, how it, is, how it has radically changed your life. Maybe it wasn't a radical change in your mind, but when you really theologically get down to it, it's always a radical change because you were in rebellion against God and God has forgiven you. God has, God has changed, changed your life. So there are things that are all in common with every testimony, whether you're a murderer or a former murderer or a church kid. There are, there are things that are true about our testimony. The first one is that you were in rebellion against God because of your sin. You're saying, well, what do I share? What, if I'm going to tell my story, what, do, what should I include? Here are some, just, some snippets, some truths that you can put in there. That you were in rebellion against God. That, that you were born in sin. And so because of that sin, by sin you're naturally a rebel of God. You are an enemy of God. When you break his law, you break his law. And so you could have been the worst of sinners. You could have been the nicest of sinners but we're still sinners in rebellion against God. At some point in there, even Paul talks about it, he says in verses in chapter 26, in verses 4, 5, 4 through 11, basically, he's going to talk about his sinful past. He's going to say, this is what I was. I punished the Jews, I, uh, the, the Christians. I was a, you know, a great Pharisee of Pharisees. I was all of these things, and yet I was in rebellion against God. And he's going to talk about his salvation experience. He's going to talk about being on the road to, to Damascus and how that worked in verses 12 through 18. He's going to talk about his encounter with Jesus. Now, our encounter, I don't think anybody was riding on their horse and a great light shone and knocked him off. And God looked and said, why are you kicking against the pricks? You know, what's, what's going on? With, I, I'm assuming most of us probably didn't have that. But did you have an encounter with the gospel? The answer is yes. That at some point in your life, you realize that you were a rebel against God. You were a sinner. And that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins. And not just for the sins of everybody, but your personal sins. And that he was buried and that he rose again. And you personally accepted that gift of, of Jesus Christ. You believed in Jesus. You turned, you repented, as Pastor Tony was talking about this morning. You turned from your sin and you turned to trust in Jesus Christ as the only way to save you from your sins. That's, that's in all of our testimonies. If there's a, you're a genuine testimony, a follower of Jesus Christ, and you have a true salvation experience, it might not be all the same. Some of your rebellion was different than my rebellion. Some of our, how, who we heard the gospel from, it might have been from a track, it might have been from a preacher, it could have been at a crusade, it could have been from your neighbor across the street, but you were encountered with the gospel of Jesus Christ through the word of God. You believed in it, you turned from your sin, and Jesus Christ forgave you of your sins. So he took your sins, he removed them. He paid the debt for them. And you can just talk simply about that. You don't have to get into everything theologically. Your testimony is just simply your story of what has happened. And now instead of hell, you're going to heaven. Don't shy away from the idea of hell. Don't shy away from the bad news because if you don't have bad news, there is no good news. 
The good news of Jesus Christ is that he saved you from hell. That he saved you from payment of the penalty of sin. That he, that he saved you from the damnation that is due to each and every person on this planet. The good news is good news because there is bad news. So we do need to share. We do it tactfully. We do it graciously. And yet we still need to talk about hell and, and going to heaven. We're going we're gonna to see that in just a few minutes. As we get, get ready to go to communion, we're going to be reminded of what has happened in our lives. That Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins. That his blood was shed for us. And I can't think of anything better as we, as we talk about over the next couple weeks here and months and years. Our lives are to be about saying thank you to Jesus Christ. And not just being content to sit here, but to look and say, I need to go. I need to tell people about Jesus. I need to be so invested in my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, my loved ones, that I can't help but say something. That I can't help but pray, God, give me opportunities to turn my friendships into conversations about the gospel. Lord, give me the words. Prompt me when I need to be telling somebody. And don't, don't, don't reject that. Take that as something that's good. If God is saying, tell, say, all right, this is awesome. God wants to use me. Look for those opportunities to, to share the tracks, to share about your story, your testimony, and to just start stepping out. My prayer has continually been over the last months for you that God would give you the boldness as Paul prayed, that God would give you the boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel, that you would look and say, I need to do this and I can do it. And that we as a congregation, as a body of believers say, we are going to be about great commission living. That we are going to be disciples who are making disciples, not just disciples who are content to sit here. And you can do it. We can all do it. And I'm excited to see how God is going to do that in the next weeks and months to come. Please keep telling me your stories. I am excited. It is just, it is like the best energy shot for me to hear how God is using you and God is doing that. And I'm looking forward to passing them on to, to you and through newsletters and opportunities. But ask yourself this week, can I intentionally make conversations with non-believers? Will you do that? Well, you say, you know what? If I can, I'm going to go to the park and I'm just going to try and strike up a conversation, say hi to somebody and see if they're willing to talk and just start talking with them. I'm going to be friendly in the line at the grocery store rather than grumpy because that person is taking forever and the cashier is inept. Look for those opportunities to say, well, maybe the cashier's slow right now because God wants you to have some time to talk to that person in front of you. Maybe that's the divine appointment to look this week and say, hey, when I come to church, if there's somebody sitting around me, that I don't know, I'm going to say, hi, how are you? My name is, and, and look for those opportunities. We need to be relationship building, but we need to be turning those relationships into conversations about Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would help us today, this week, in our lives, Lord, to share the good news to look for opportunities to build relationships with our friends, with our loved ones, with our coworkers, 
with just maybe the person we've never met before. And God, I pray that you would give each person in this room the opportunity over the next weeks, months, year, to have the privilege to share the gospel, to have the privilege to be used by you, that they might get excited about that, they might love that opportunity, and we might see your work in us. Lord, thank you for this time that we have now to celebrate, celebrate what you have done for us. Thank you that Christ died. Thank you that he shed his blood. Lord, thank you that he made it personal for us. Help us to enjoy this time now as we sing and then as we partake in communion. In your name we pray, amen.